Journeying with Newman, The Path to Sainthood. The Humour of John Henry Newman by Brother Zachariah Heritage of the Birmingham Oratory. As a novice at the Birmingham Oratory, an important question arises that seems almost one of identity, as I am introduced to a twofold inheritance. Firstly, that of our Holy Father, St. Philip Neri, the Apostle of Rome, who won souls to God by his embodiment of holy joy. And the second inheritance from our own beloved Cardinal, John Henry Newman, to whose immediate family we belong, and whose memory the Oratorians have since his death laboured to preserve. At first they seem two very different men. There seems something inconsistent, even incongruous, in identifying the shy and solemn cardinal with the winning saint whom he addressed as Lux Sancte Laetitiae, Light of Holy Joy. Yet by adopting St. Philip as his patron, Newman himself made this very identification. What did he see in the life of St. Philip that so attracted him? In one of Father Faber's devotional hymns to St. Philip is a verse that, I believe, summarizes what Newman saw as the essence of the saint's life. One half in heaven, one half on earth, of earthly toil and heavenly mirth, a wondrous woven scene. Newman sought after the lights and shades, the earthly alongside the heavenly. St. Philip was the saint who kept a joke book close at hand to soothe his spiritual ecstasies who shaved off half his beard and went around Rome to make a fool of himself, who refused to be made a cardinal but kept the red hat he was sent and used it for practical jokes. And yet the heavenly and the earthly sides of St. Philip's life were truly woven together, for Newman sees mirth itself as something of heaven. The answer to the question, what connects the two, is simple and personal. Newman saw in the lights and shades of St. Philip's life a gentle humour and playfulness that was also his own. This occasionally found expression in a wild satire of the sort that made a crowd at the Birmingham Corn Exchange laugh so loudly as to be heard from the streets outside. And Newman was once described by a reviewer as not only one of the greatest of English writers, but perhaps the very greatest master of delicate and polished sarcasm in the English language. More often, however, we find his sense of humour in a lightness of expression or an ironical turn of phrase. He often used sporting metaphors. When the oratory house in Edgbaston was being decorated, he would write of the plasterers, bricklayers, painters and carpenters having their innings. And on another occasion, he would ask a priest friend in Belgium whether the Prussians were about to bowl him out of Louvain. He teased Ambrose Sinjin for sending him a waspish letter, told his sister Harriet that she was being stingy with family news, and as a schoolboy avoided a like charge from his younger sister by sending a charming rhyme to Harriet, bidding her tell Jemima once upon a time a letter came from her pen, and I did not answer it then, therefore tell her I'm her debtor of a long agreeable letter, of pleasant school and different places, I'll inform her how the case is, pray do send me then a letter, a nice epistle, yours, etc., John H. Newman. We often find Newman keen to encourage a sense of conviviality or fun, particularly amongst those in his charge. Thus, on the first St. Philip's Day in England, 1848, 
the new Oratorian community at Maryvale played the game of Snapdragon, which involves pinching raisins out of a pan of brandy after setting it alight. While he was rector at the Catholic University in Dublin, he went to great lengths to encourage a sense of liberality in the students. He provided for a debating society and for cricket grounds. Some years previously, he had learnt to play billiards after watching the game on a sea voyage, and he now ordered what he described as a top-notch table, and converted the stables behind his house into a billiard room for the students. He even had plans to license a theatre. In all these things, he sought to make enjoyment and culture readily available to the students, so that they would have no need of the more disreputable places in the town. The alarm felt by Archbishop Cullen and other authorities at this is not unlike that of the Roman gentleman who wondered at St Philip allowing his youths to play ball outside his room, and we can hardly fail to be reminded of St Philip's response. So long as they do not sin, they may chop firewood upon my back. In St Philip, and in Newman, this humour was one of the sweetest fruits of humility, a sense of lowness as sinners but sinners who have been redeemed, and who now have a joyful trust in God. We see this most clearly as Newman reflects upon his old age. He variously describes himself as an old cart horse or as a musical snuff-box, a very little rheumatic and a little lame, a bird with clipped wings. But this would not trouble him, he said, if I don't aspire to long or high flight. In fact, flying low seems to have been when he was happiest we recognise something of St Philip's indifference to ridicule, as Newman resists his friend's efforts to rid him of his old clothes. When on holiday, he writes, I see no one and wear my worst things, a very great lounge. William condemned my hat and coat and waistcoat months and months ago. I don't wear gloves and carry three novels under my arm without scruple. For all the troubles of old age, he affirms, I have, thank God, to say that I am very well. He knew that his strength was not to be found in physical health, but in grace and in the prayers of his friends. Cardinal Newman could never regard himself as saintly. He was only fit to black the saint's shoes, he said, adding, if Saint Philip uses blacking in heaven. He would say that saints are not literary men. They do not love the classics. They do not write tales. This was Newman's line, and it was not what he called the high line but these are precisely the lights and shades in which he was interested. He objected to the practice so common of cutting up a saint into virtues and of distributing him into pigeonholes, because this, he felt, was both unrealistic and uninspiring. If we do this and ignore a saint's humanity, his humour, manners and peculiarities of expression, we might fail to find the holy joy which brings deep security, serene hope, and a spiritual fulfilment that the world cannot understand. It is the interweaving of heaven and earth, the baptism of what is earthly, and the concomitant realization of the heavenly, that gives us a truer picture of the saint, and a model for our own sanctification.